0: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness.
1: It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
0: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for
1: 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care I speak to quite a lot of producers on this podcast sometimes, music producers, who say that they view the studio as an instrument. You know, when they're in there working with musicians, they feel like the studio itself is an instrument. Do you ever view the orchestra, the entire orchestra, as one instrument? Would you ever think about it in that way, in those terms? Yes. In, in, in
0: modern uh, vocabulary, you could describe an orchestra as uh, the first type of uh, synthesizer you know, where you, where you combine different textures, different instruments to create something bigger than the, than the original. And, you know, it's, uh, an orchestra is, is something much different than just a regular band. So, 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 for example, folk music where you usually can discern, you know, with all the different instruments, right? You have a bass, a banjo, whatever, accordion, and that they they're very distinct. They each of them do their own thing. But we do what we do with an orchestra is something much more than that. We blend certain instrument to the point that you you cannot tell, you know, what, what is playing this specific line. And, you know, the, 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 they're fused together. The, the art of orchestration is the, the, the whole, you know, uh, knowledge of how which instruments blend with each other better or worse, you know, which can be s- substituted sometimes. And, you, you know, you may think you hear an oboe in certain contexts, and it will be a trumpet, you know, depending on the on the orchestration on the surrounding and everything you may you may have an or orche- purely orchestral piece where you're gonna hear voices which are not there so in this sense i'm talking about uh, uh, an orchestra as uh as, as the first synthesizer because it, it truly lets us create something uh, much bigger and and to me it also represents the the pinnacle of uh, Western European civilization, you know, the, the the cultural achievement of what can we do together just absolutely exceeds the the the, the sum of its parts. You know, it's uh, if you if you think about the grounder, the, the the huge sound uh, of it that, that can be achieved, none. No single instrument can do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you compare it to the synthesizer because when we think about that, it's a very fixed thing, although you can get lots of different kinds of them. You know that when you put that effect on it with the synthesizer, it's always going to achieve the same sound. Whereas with an orchestra, because it's all individual, real players, there's so many more variables at play. Like Depending on who you have playing at that specific time, the context you place it in is always going to be shifting and always going to be changing. Yeah.
0: In, in electronic music, we, we try to mimic that behavior and, And especially right now, with uh, invention of different controllers. For example, there's an upcoming keyboard which responds to different type of uh, touch. And, you know, giving you sort of control that you would traditionally have on a string instrument, which we were used to. And yet, because uh, a keyboard be- became the principal user interface for a, for a synthesizer, it inherited the, the very li- limited way how you can I- interact with a, w- w- with a keyboard. But the, di- the different part is that even though you can talk about an orchestra, you know, expanding this analogy as in First additive instrument that you you just add you know different uh, colors and, and uh, weld them together, but the uh, distinct difference is that every one of these colors is created by, by a human being, and this is where, where and, and why I think uh, orchestra is unmatchable yet you know that that you. You, you, you can replicate quite a lot, but not get to the very core of it, where, where you, can, you, you have a power of, of a group of human beings interacting and contributing their understanding and their feelings, their, uh, their talents to, to the sound. So, 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 so this is something that to do with a, with, with a machine uh, we're probably not not there yet, and ho- hopefully not for a, for a long time. And I'm I'm a big advocate of of live instruments and what they how they con- contribute to to, to, to any sounds.
1: As technology, you know, continues to advance not only in music but you know in all different areas of the world and culture, and it keeps advancing, and this idea of a digital thing that isn't quite human becomes more prevalent. Do we does it almost feel like the hunger that we have for something real and human and organic like you're saying there is increasing? Like from an audience yeah, part of you? Does it feel like that? I, I,
0: I think so because it, y, y, you can obs- observe it very easily in, in popular car- culture. Take anything that is handmade it will, it will have a higher price because uh, there are so many of us that we we, we we can't afford any anymore to produce certain things by hand. We have to do them uh, with machines and and in in lar- larger scale. But any type of custom made object, something that was loved, you know, while created something that was not just created based on economical equation. That you know, uh, if we use this material, it will be cheaper, and it will still last for for 12 months, as long as the warranty is, right? So if someone uh, still creates an, an object serving the certain purpose, but approaches it individually, the cost is much higher, but at the same time, the quality and the individuality of this object is incomparable. Uh, and uh, those things have value because we, we don't have as much in our lives, right? In the 19th century, you would probably be surrounded at home with a lot of wood, you know, and not uh, just fledgling electricity. But, you know, most of it would have been made by hands and by by, by craftsmen, and there the, the would uh, there would be a lot of love, you know, of people touching and creating those objects. And I, I believe that we that it's a part of how we communicate with other people, also uh, through through crafts and and objects we 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 create and. We don't don't only talk to to each other. It's not the only means of our communication. And creation is as much important for for human beings. And uh, and through creation, we're we're also capable of transferring emotions, transferring things that are intangible, that we we would need to talk about something for, for, for 10 years, maybe, or instead perceive an object which someone created, for example, uh, a work of art or a custom-made racing car, you know, where, where every tiny part is, is different it, than in your mass markets, you know, Honda or whatever. <laughs>
1: Do you do you have any custom made instruments? I do. Yes.
0: (laughs) Uh, Actually, recently I I built a very special drum uh, based on a steel barrel. But uh, inside there are heavyweight springs with many, many, many uh, really heavy weights. It all resonates and it's it's, it's really cool. It's, it's like a drum with its own reverb tank. that the, the whole instrument is just incredibly deep. And the, the, the most interesting thing uh, you can do with it is actually uh, the extension of the springs are metal rods, which you can play. You can bow them, and it's just a beautiful sound.
1: Have you used it in anything yet? Uh, No, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) How, you know, it's interesting what we've been speaking about as well in regards to orchestra and the way that every instrument can be framed differently depending on the context surrounding it and it can change the way you hear it and the way it sounds and feels. How did your perspective of individual instruments and writing on them change after you had conducted an orchestra for the first time? Yeah,
0: yeah, you know, uh, conducting the players is a reminder to a composer that whatever you put on a musician's stand better not be boring, <laughs> you know. And it's, I, I think it's, it's an important principle that when, when, you, when you realize that the different parts you write are not, you're not just playing them through MIDI, you ask someone, you know, to, to interpret them and to, to put some life into them. And even if, if certain instruments will, it may be necessary that they have a simpler part, someone else will have this glorious melodic line, uh, but not everybody, there's still a, a compo- there's still a lot a composer can do to, to make those lesser parts be interesting as well. And conducting an orchestra enforces this notion, because this is a moment of, of truth in a way, you know, you, you come to the podium and you encourage people around you to, to put as much energy as they can, you, you immediately see, you know, is there, is there something that they can put their energy into or not? <laughs> Uh, so, so I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's about this responsibility and other than that uh, conducting to me is the, the most thrilling part of my work where I finally feel my music fully and uh, I, I no longer have to listen to, to samples, which, which I find very, very painful. It's finally... This sound, the the final sound. I don't have to imagine it. I don't have to listen to to a demo track with a with a, a lot of you know re- reservations that oh this will be different in this way. You know, it's 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 like watching just an unfinished product, right? And
1: like storyboards
0: almost. yeah, yeah, exactly. So so, so with with the the actual players, it, it, it becomes a, a real uh, interaction with them and it, it's, it's also an incredible energy which which you're getting being there and you give back.
1: What you were saying there when you listened to the demo track, do you feel like you're actually listening to it or is the demo track almost like a trigger for your mind to imagine how it will sound when it's in that space with an orchestra? Yes.
0: Uh, a demo track is is a draft to me and especially this draft can be more convincing especially for rhythm driven uh, pieces and you know where music has more rhythmic details and uh, but it it completely fails when 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 we talk about emotional music and if you, if you need a theme to, to actually carry something. And I've, uh, I've had this problem from, from, from the beginning when, when working with Tom Ford and Madonna, when they were absolutely in, uh, incapable of, of making this leap of faith, you know, that, that you, what you're listening to it's not the, the finished track that it's, it's just a mock-up it's just a draft because they would, they would need to feel the, the thing you know be, before uh, approval, and especially for, for Madonna, which she, she was used to uh, doing a, de- a demo for her was practically a fully produced truck just not not the final mix you know and if she if she wanted to to have a gypsy band in the uh, in the arrangements they would just hire a gypsy band for for the demo truck right so so it's they wouldn't just spend as much time in the studio and you know it, it wouldn't be as as polished but you know, you would get the, the same sound probably the same players and and then okay then you can imagine in a much easier way how how the uh, finished thing would uh, would feel like uh, but obviously with uh, an orchestra it's not uh, it's not feasible it's just uh, prohib- prohibitively expensive uh, so instead we we started doing uh, live demos of, of just a basic set of instruments, for example, six instruments, and maybe uh, supplementing them just with, with a, a little of, of samples, uh, or, or even not, and this, this proved to be better than uh, those electronic mockups.
1: Do you think that was just because it was real people playing them? Was that what yes. was changing it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this was it, because it's, you know, it's even if you have a bad recording, but, but you have the, a live player and, this, and you work on some kind of interpretation of, of a line, it will be, everything will feel right. You know, the only thing that will bother you will be, oh, maybe there's a little noisy or, or maybe maybe the high end is not, not there, maybe the mic could be better but it's not a problem in, in estimating the piece of music do I, do I feel it or not right? So, so it would be very different if you try to produce a track with, with a sampled instrument and then spend an enormous time on Uh, mixing, EQing, everything, you know, that technically this recording would be perfect sonically, right? You wouldn't have a question of enough high-end, everything would be in the right place. But so what if, if the core is not there?
1: Did you use that technique again the second time that you worked with Tom? Or was the communication slightly different because you'd been through that process with him once before?
0: Yes, yes, I did that again. And, and uh, the second time, I didn't even try to, uh, to show him uh, themes that I knew he wouldn't uh, accept any other way. So we, we, we always had a, had a demo and then actually, the, the second time, we, we actually allocated some budgets to, to, to hire a few players. Uh, to do live demos. And actually, with, with Nocturnal Animals, there's an interesting story. If you, if you watch the film, there's a scene, the, the, the moment when the, uh, they find bodies of, uh, of mother and, and daughter. And this is a, a very quiet and emo- emotional scene. And there's a very emotional piece of music as well. And when I wrote this, uh, Again, I recorded a demo be, be, before showing to Tom. And uh, we did it with five players here in my, in my home. Okay, maybe six. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I didn't have enough mics. I had one stereo mic. Then I was moving one mono mic from a person to person, depending on, you know, who would need to be featured. So, you know, by, by no definition, this was a perfect recording, just a, a home recording uh, with familiar players with, with whom I'd worked on on Redful. The, the demo had a really lovely feeling and, and I showed it to, to Tom. He, he really responded well and, you know, loved the sound and everything. The intention was always to eventually re-record that piece in uh, in London with London players and with a larger ensemble. And uh, I remember we recorded in at air, I think. Yeah. Each time we recorded this piece, both Tom and I were like, I still like the, the sound of the demo. And we attempted to to record it three times on three different sessions, really trying. And it's not that the players were bad, you know, they were great. We had a larger ensemble, so everything was more polished. But somehow, this home recording performance was very unique. There was something that we we couldn't recreate. This was this moment and just something that we, we couldn't let go, that, that we wanted this sound. We eventually ended up just recording an extra layer extending the strings, which was, which was mixed in with the, with the old original demo, which had to be cleaned up because there were some click truck in the <laughs> background, you know, it, it was never supposed to go, go out. And yet a moment turned out to be much stronger than, than uh, going to the opulent environment of air. And uh, so, so th- th- there's your example how, how much a live player can do so, so that's the, the uniqueness may be unmatched by even other players in many uh, circumstances. And uh, so to, to even think about sample instruments in, in this context is just impossible to compete.
1: Yeah, there's something so organic about it when it's out of your control. Like you can't control what you're saying there about how the specific player is going to do it. It's just very natural and, yeah, it's interesting. It's part of the mystery and the magic of the process, isn't it? It
0: is, yeah. It's a, it comes back to, to this uh, very personal moment that you have with other musicians. And sometimes a moment is there, sometimes it's not. You know, it's the, the, that's the beauty of art, I think, that, that the outcome is not guaranteed ever. And the, the failure is a natural element of this process. And from time to time, we, we find a, a gem, you know, and a great skill, I think, to, to have is to, to realize a, a moment where, where you have a gem and, uh, and just keep it and, you know, forget about everything else that you had planned and just follow this this new idea because it, it feels genuine it feels sincere
1: i wanted to ask about that particular moment you mentioned as well actually the piece of music that plays when he discovers the bodies because you you use it another twice in the film you use it when he's in the motel and also to open the film i think that's the three times it come. No, no,
0: it's, it's the same the- it's based on the same theme
1: Slightly different.
0: Uh, yeah, but uh, but the moment when uh, they found, uh, the bodies are found, this is the, the, the piece I was telling the story about.
1: Okay, so does that piece just come it, up? It's, at that called, one? it's called The Field. Ah, okay. Does that piece come up at any other point in the film? This piece uh, uses one of the main recurring themes as
0: well. So, so you know, you, you have all the elements that bind the score together, and, and this theme comes from s- uh, so many different permutations. Yeah,
1: it's kind of like what you do on the Madonna score as well, where you have those six or so core themes that crop up in variations across the entire score, kind of traversing yes. time periods and everything.
0: Yes, and, and he, he, here uh, in, in Nocturnal Animals, it's probably the biggest variety of of, for example, the theme that we start the movie with, the track Wayward Sisters, it already starts with a theme which is presented in this hyper-saturated, opulent version, just dripping with orchestration and everything. And, a, and later you have the same theme in a more Bernard Hermanesque. esque Vibe very austere and you know m- much smaller and uh, but finally you, you get to this point where where this thing becomes most emotional and and personal and this is the the field and it's it's practically tiny you know comparing to Wayward Sisters and yet this is the same core yes yeah, so, so so probably in, in nocturnal animals this was the where I had a chance to, to show a, a, a biggest uh, s- span array of, of the different uh, iterations.
1: Are you tapping into a specific moment in the film when you compose that theme? How are you able to conjure something that is going to function in all of these different, like you say, guises where it's being used to different emotional effect each time?
0: This theme was written quite, quite early on. I remember that I sent Tom... Two tracks, to uh, both with with live recordings, but this was the theme that ended up to be the main theme. Was actually my second choice. My first choice for w- w- what I thought initially was was probably better. Was was another track that that didn't that didn't make it eventually. So you know, it's a it's a process of. Uh, of, of verifying, you know, what you think is right to actually seeing and, and feeling, does it really help? Or maybe it's a dead end in, in some cases. So, 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 so this theme really evolved and, and became embedded in, in nocturnal animals more and more as we worked on it. And it just turned out that it apparently liked being transformed into many different, uh, you know, uh, areas. So, so, so this was the, you know, so, so something that, that not always can be expected
1: of what you, what you write. Did you ever take into account the fact, so the, I mean the film kind of has the three timelines where you've got LA in the present day, you've got the fictional timeline in the book, and then you've got the flashbacks to New York. Did you take into account that one of those timelines was fictional? Did the fact that one of them is supposed to be a book affect the music in any way and it's supposed to be a creation in the world?
0: Well, not, not really, but because if technically it is fictional, but if you think about the story, does something that explains a story through an emotional language, is it really fictional or is it describing a, re- a reality with different meaning? means, right? So, to me, this was a direct extension of just talking about the same thing when he wrote the book and kind of reversed the situation that that the murderer in the book is basically the character uh, played by Amy Adams, that she murdered a part of him by crushing his spirit, his love, his, himself. It, it becomes a, a very vivid explanation of, of, of what it means. It, it stops being, uh, you know, if you think about this, that the, the story described in the book follows his emotional arc. This is how he, he felt about certain things. At this moment, it it stops being just a story you know because he's talking about something as realistic as they come and it's just it would be harder and i think misleading to to give more credence to to regular words you know that to regular storytelling that oh if i just described what what happened in a regular way, that it would somehow make make it more true. You know, I, I think that this is the question that, that the art in general answers that sometimes uh, certain things cannot be described with our common language and with our mundane way of talking. And we need another language, another means of expression to, to express something intangible, you know, and, and, and I, think, I think this is uh, what, what it was in the story.
1: It kind of, yeah, it functions on multiple levels because you could also look at it as a reflection of her experience with the way that yes. you score that, the scenes in the novel as, you know, so intimate. They're more reflective of her experience with how it's affecting her than what's directly occurring at that moment in the novel itself, if that makes sense. Yes. How did s- the similar thing kind of function on W.E.? No,
0: W.E. Was, was different. It, it, had, it had a more classical distinction between different time periods because they were, they were both objective, right? The, the modern story was a modern story of a woman fascinated by the Duchess and the story of the duchess was you know exactly how it happened there was an easier distinction you know uh, the obviously uh, there was a conne- uh, the there was an emotional connection between between both and you know how how one woman kind of affected the other But this relationship wasn't as complex as in Nocturnal Animals.
1: Yeah, it's more of a one-sided relationship, because it's about the modern woman's relationship to the Duchess, but the Duchess doesn't have that relationship back. Correct. Is that something you were looking to reflect in the score? Were you very much writing that from the point of view of the modern woman, kind of looking back with this perspective?
0: The modern woman lives through the Duchess, because it, it lets her when she researches her, her life, the Duchess life, she's, she's able to relieve certain things, certain emotions that are inaccessible in, in modern time for her. She, she's suddenly capable of feeling certain things that would not be, you know, an, an element of her uh, day-to-day reality. The his, historical timeline uh, gave much more plane for, for music that would be, you know, again, oversaturated with emotions, with romanticism, with, you know, like a fairy tale, but not a fairy tale with, with real uh, problems and, you know, and, and dark, uh, dark moments. But, but this was it. This was the the core of, of why the film was made to express this this contrast between something that many people would dream of having right to 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 be in this position in this position of becoming a, a, a duchess and so so so, so close to the, the the royals and you know an incredible story but you know not realizing what it would entail, how uh, gruesome the, the ra- reality would be, how, how, how difficult, frustrating, full of anxiety. You know, we don't, we don't speak of, of those things when we tell fairy tales. I think this was the, the core of the film and uh, the, the t- timeline for uh, Abby Cornish. Was basically an entry point to, to give us contrasts, what we're missing in, in our modern re- reality. What would be our fairy tale if we wanted to, to, to describe it? And uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a very personal movie for, for Madonna as well. And there was a lot of uh, explanation related to. To her personal experience which I think gave it credits
1: yeah definitely that's what gives it its intimacy and I mean you can see like what we're in there about the, the narrative of the Duchess is something that repeats in various forms throughout history this idea of being careful what you almost being careful what you wish for a little bit you know and yes. striving for something that then comes back to kind of bite you
0: it just turns out that the story is is more interesting than the that the press would have you think <laughs> it
1: was it's, it got an interesting reaction i watched it again today and i don't really understand the reaction to it, why there was such a backlash to it
0: yeah absolutely
1: you wonder if it was almost snobbery because it was madonna who was the one making the film
0: yeah yeah plus the plus the duchess with with her being uh, american she was a divorcee just uh Unthinkable. I, I I don't have to explain it to you, obviously, but you know at, at that time uh, it was much worse than with uh, Megan and uh, Harry. And
1: Harry, yeah. Again, like we were saying, you know, it's manifesting itself again. The phrase you used there, where you were kind of speaking about this fairy tale idea, it's interesting, and it kind of brings my mind to the nun. You know, the, when we were saying fairy tale, the slightly heightened sense of reality and something a little bit more fantastical is that a different thing I mean I guess Penny Dreadful too where you're approaching something that isn't quite taking place in our reality in the same way
0: Penny Penny Dreadful was probably the biggest surprise of my my career I couldn't expect to find so so much in scoring I thought I I would be scoring some kind of Victorian story and uh horror genre obviously what was most surprising uh, were uh, John Logan's dialogues were, were it was the first time that dialogue actually inspired me to to in music and there was so much beautiful poetry in it especially in the, the creature who, you know, be, being, being this violent Dr. Frankenstein's mo- monster, he had this beautiful soul to, to different elements. And, and all those long conversations, which I, I found absolutely uh, fascinating when they they just talked and talked and and it was bizarre, it was strange, it was dark, it was, it was something, you know, like, like, like exploring uh, the, uh, the areas of our humanity which were uh, either taboo or, you know, something untouchable and uh, those characters would go there sort of easy. and. Uh, I, I just found this world, world incredibly inspiring. The, uh, I, I always talk about its dark beauty, like, uh, like being fascinated with, with something that, that you know that it may kill you. You know, you're, you see a tornado and you would like to be in the center, even though, even though you, you know it will kill you. Or a, or a sweet poison, which just has something incredible in it, like, uh, you know, like poisonous flowers. All those elements were dreadful, were but, you know, it, it was a it was a, a very apt symbolism for things that we were we may be attracted to, which objectively may not be good for us you know it's hard to de- deny this dark beauty that, that exists that even though it may not be good or or at least good for us there is an incredible dark beautiful energy in it and so so i found myself r- r- writing themes which were romantic as previously but at the same time touching all those darker streams and uh it was a really fascinating time for me
1: what you were saying there about like our, our attraction to these things that can be dark and attraction to these things that can harm us and might not be good for us but we still want to walk towards them anyway when you're using that to compose a theme are you looking for that in your own life too are you looking for those things in your own life to kind of latch onto, and then um, communicate?
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, no, no. I ha- I have a very happy life personally, and this is something that I s- struggled for for, for m- most of my artistic life, uh, especially being born in in Poland, where we with Eastern European romantic notion of who an artist is. It usually is connected to suffering, unfulfillment, you know, unrequited love, all those things that, that make you kind of broken. And through this brokenness, you, you create your art. I've always uh, found it very, very offensive, you know, because it was also a, a way to say that basically what artists do is is not a real thing you know and ba- basically they that they should be happy that society allows them to do what they do but you know it's not neither a job or something needed you know and and to me uh, artists as uh, tangible as baking bread and this is true that we, we may not need it in, in moments where our, our existence is in, is in danger. In, in times of war, uh, they, there may be no time for, for art because you need to just to put food on your table. But in, in normal times, in times of peace, art helps us understand our world better uh, understand ourselves better, communicate better. You know, I'm I'm returning to what, what we've talked about. Art is another language which gives us much difference and deeper understanding of certain things inside us and and around us. So I always wanted to to feel of. Uh, as an artist, to, to feel that I'm a part of, of the society, you know, that's, that what, what I do matters. The notion that an artist would need to uh, suffer or to go through some incredible trage- tragedy to be able to create, to me, it was always like being a, a heart surgeon without a heart attack you know that you wouldn't be able to become a good heart surgeon because you wouldn't know about hearts yourself you wouldn't have that personal experience
1: yeah i think like with what you're saying that idea of the tragedy of the artist is true for a very small minority of people
0: yeah you know i, I think uh, a, a tragedy trauma can be a catalyst for for, for many people because certain things can only be expressed with art or easier expressed with art. And if you go through tr- trauma, you may be incapable of of expressing it, it with normal means. Right. To you try to talk to somebody and they, they won't really understand what, what, what you what you went through, even if you tell them with normal words, you tell them your story, they will still not understand because they won't have the same life experience. But if you create art, it may come through. So, so I think this is where, you know, uh, where those two elements are attached, that, that again, that, that art lets us, is, is an outlet for, for uh, a lot of it, which normally would be just squashed inside, by no means it is the, the only case that, that you, you would be able to, to create art otherwise.
1: You mentioned a few moments back as well that through creating art, you've learned things about yourself and you've learned things about the world and the way that we are as people. What's, what have you learned about yourself that has been most valuable to you in your kind of day-to-day life? Uh
0: Relativity you know that's in a well basically that a lot of things that matter for in society is not really that important creating art gave me this kind of peace of mind you know that's basically as long as i'm not starving i'm okay you know let me understand and appreciate the uniqueness of our experience and uh, let me elaborate on this so imagine what in your life is a truly unique experience for example if you buy a car obviously it's not a unique experience billions of people (laughs) drive cars hundreds of thousands drive custom luxury cars it's not unique Someone has experienced it before you, and you know it's I, I don't see a value in in basically repetition of certain actions, like ants, right? Doing the same thing, walking the same path. If you look at people like this, so what is the value in your life that you have an experience of owning a car? Let's, let's forget for, for, for the moment about just commuting, you know, that you needed to drive yourself to work. But there are you know, other, uh, other things like this, having, having a, a TV, having uh, a house, you know, then talking with each other. How many of the things that you express during a conversation is actually original? When you think about this 99%, uh, what we do is we repeat something that we, we've heard from other sources, we're in certain community, we're basically spreading the same information over and over uh, again. And where are those things that, that are unique, specific to us? There are usually uh, in the more personal area where we're more intimate with another person when we speak, maybe not about politics, expressing just. uh, Think about this when two people talk about politics, it's like each of them is rereading different articles right from from different uh, from uh, different media. So I guess this is what I'm looking for, and this is what creating art taught me to look for for this uniqueness. And I think this is what uh, if we if we can find enough of it in our life and can uh, can appreciate it, it it's more grounding. It's you know, it's uh, it doesn't give you a sense of pointlessness. You know that's, you go every day to an office, uh, do a job that you don't like uh, for a company that you don't even care about what what, what it does. Uh, how do you how do you spend your life? You know, without if you if you don't have any meaningful relationships, where is the value in in you following this, this, this path, you know, and, and basically n- not having any kind of genuine, y- unique interaction. You know, th- th- this is uh, w- what we talked about, the uh, the handmade uh, objects In right? that are ha- hard to find these days. And it's it's a very similar thing. You know, we we we, we kind of everything we most of what we say is kind of uh, a stock message, or, you know...
1: Does it make you more... Do you feel more fulfilled when you find those moments of uniqueness in your daily life?
0: Yes, absolutely. I, I think this is what, uh, again, ca- coming back to the purpose of art, that us, uh, as human beings, we, we live in a world that may seem very chaotic for us, and uh, we struggle to find the reason... Uh, to find an answer, why we're here, why, you know, why so short, why a disease, why, why worse, and, and everything is so much chaotic, and we strive to, to find harmony, and we don't even know how it may feel to find harmony, how, how would we recognize it, the truth, or something else, and, and this is the moment when you may hear a piece of music and feel the harmony. And it can, you may in this moment understand, you know, it it can be very grounding. It can give you understanding of that. Not everything is disjoint, pointless. You know, that that there can be true beauty in in, in life. And uh, by beauty, I mean, Again, harmony of, of elements, this is where we, this is where uh, humans in general find beauty in, in, in things that, you know, that, that come together, that match, that are not fighting w- w- with each other. So I, I believe that it gives art in general very practical, practical side.